Welcome to the Employee to Entrepreneur podcast, the podcast specifically for aspiring entrepreneurs who have families that want to escape the rat race. So if you're looking to quit your nine to five, but still be able to keep food on the table for your family in the process, then you're in the right place. This podcast is for you. I made this podcast for you because I am you. I am your host, Brendan Ryan, and today I'm joined by my guest, Stu Lyric, who is a cold outreach expert, and together we explore the question of how, when, and why entrepreneurs should undertake cold outreach, which is the idea of going to your customers rather than having them come to you. Stu Lyric, thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to have an Australian on the podcast. So I saw we met on Twitter and I've been seeing you building your brand there. And I saw that you mentioned that you used to be a coach and now you're going to be launching a cold email course and writing a book about it. Um, what made you find that particular avenue of online entrepreneurship and has coaching helped you with any of that? Oh, where do we start uh, unpacking that? Well, I guess, Brendan, thanks again for the invitation to be on. Um, it's actually you in the flesh. We, uh, we've taken a couple of weeks, I think, to try and make this one stick. So it's, it's really great to be on the show. Uh, I have seen your other episodes and, um, yeah, it looks like you're, uh, you're kicking goals. So it's really exciting to see. And, yeah, great to be, um, great to be on and a part of it. Uh, so we're now getting that out of the way. To answer your question, uh, I guess for me it's the culmination of, look, I've been in in business um, for over 25 years. So a lot of what I'm doing now is probably just the um, um, the expression of all of the things that I've learned, some insights, some lessons, and wrapped up in a way that that is a, is a brand or a point of view that I'm sharing online, uh, essentially. Uh, coaching has been a big part of my life. I guess sport is something that, uh, from my family's perspective and growing up, was always uh, something that um, we either played or attended. So having that in, in, in alignment with everything else that I've been doing is, is really important to me. And I guess one thing progresses to another, as you know, with, um, with life, it doesn't always follow the path you expect. So um, coaching for me from a sport perspective has really been helpful in uh, the coaching that I provide to, uh, to sales reps or, or staff or even clients when you're working with them as well. So I guess it's a whole lot of everything coming together for me now to want to to share to a wider audience then I guess in real life you, you you're limited by um who you know and your network there so I just thought it'd be a nice adventure to start very cool so is does sports psychology overlap a little bit with say sales or marketing look I would say it would I, I guess with anything if we're talking about humans and people uh, the, the fundamentals of of psychology uh, of emotions um be it persuasion, if you want to introduce that as well. I, I think they all cross over. Um, and everything that we want to apply just needs to be context-based, right? So uh, as long as we're applying it to the right um, scenarios for the right people, uh, it definitely crosses over. Um, as you would appreciate, you know, all of the emotions that we might experience in our own businesses um, or our own sales role um, exist in one form or another for, our, for athletes as well. Um, you only have to watch. I know mm -hmm. you and I are both big uh, big football fans. You only have to watch the highs and the lows um, of any sport, particularly uh, the NFL. And um, I think the sports psychologists 
um, do a massive job. Obviously, they're invisible to to us as um, as fans, but it, it's a it's a it's a big part of making sure that people are mentally stable, but also just performing at their best as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a lot of people mention that entrepreneurs are high performance individuals, and obviously, I think. Anybody would agree that athletes are high performance individuals. They train their body, they eat right, they do all kinds of recovery methods to make sure that they can perform at the highest level. But entrepreneurs too also invest very heavily in their mindset. And I see a lot of guys investing in their bodies as well. So it's interesting that, um, you know, you, you, you're helping people now in business coming from coaching. So what is the story there? Do you still coach? And um, if, if not, like, how did you transition from coaching to, into what you're doing now? Uh, look, officially I, I died. It was, um, uh, I was working as a consultant coach when I, um, when I was working in rugby union, I guess, as, as you'd appreciate it, it's not a, a, a big sport in, in the USA, but, but on a global perspective, it is a big sport. If I drill further down, my, my real interest is in skill acquisition from a sporting uh, perspective. So I was utilised in, in, a, in a couple of other sports as a skills coach, uh, kicking in particular. Um, AFL being one of those, uh, rugby league is, a, is another code of rugby and rugby union itself. And I guess one thing just leads to another. Again, partly that was about building a brand and some credibility in the space that you get to meet people and it expands your horizons. Uh, and, and I guess that's how that happened. But just being too busy with um, with a family, I've got three kids. Uh, business itself, um, I guess it had to fall by the wayside as a as a side hustle. I guess we'd call it. It it, it ended up being for a point. But I, I really just decided to take those learnings, apply them across to everything that I'd done in business as well, and just continue down that path. Um, I've coached my kids at sport. I actually coached uh, American football this year here in Australia. Believe it or not. Um, and played as well. But I, I think I'm at a point now where uh, I'm happy just to run the water or, or do whatever dads do to, to help out a team as opposed to having to, to be the coach. And, and certainly when you consider, you know, the investment required at a professional level, which I've coached and in elite sport, um, yeah, there, there's a lot required of you in terms of focus and commitment. I, I, I feel like I'd rather put that into family and, um, and my personal business now. Absolutely. Yeah. On the first episode that I did of this podcast, I had a really good conversation with a good friend of mine about the idea of work-life balance and how balance in general is, is kind of a lie. Um, usually you have to sacrifice somewhere um, in order to be excellent in any one endeavor, right? Um, so say for athletes, for example, like if you really want to be, you know, tip-top athlete, um, they're sacrificing a lot. They're sacrificing, you know, their social life, probably all of the partying that maybe a lot of people do and that kind of thing. And he mentioned something that was, I thought was really cool about life having seasons and thinking of thinking of it that way with regards to, um, you know, there's certain seasons, like when you first have a baby that takes up a ton of your time and that season of your life might be for family. Whereas um, maybe later on in your life, when you have a little bit more time, it could be a, a building phase of your life where you're, you're building up your business. So tell me about what you're building with the, the course and the book and everything. What's it about? Look, I guess the, the whole, if we're calling it a personal brand for the sake of it, the, the, the long game is, um, is something that isn't, 
look, it's not new. I didn't invent the terminology. It's something that I believe we can all relate to or we have our own version of what it might mean. But look, for me, I've just got to a point where I'm just seeing in terms of um, salespeople and outreach, I'm really big on helping others with effective communication ultimately. So the idea of the long game was really a philosophy around human forward or human-centred communication from an outreach perspective and really trying to break down some of the stigma around uh, cold outreach um, and strategies to connect with potential customers or clients. Um, There's a lot of poor uh, emailing going on out there. There's there's a lot of poor communication. Um, I put that down to not necessarily the people themselves, but perhaps the sources of which they're learning, um, their management, um, their mentors. There, there isn't a lot of resource out there to help. So it's it's partly a bit of a fight back, but it's also very much to um, you know, to help. So, so the long game is not just about being in business um, or sustaining the long term. It's also a mindset around, um, you know, quality connections, one-to-one, um, and, and actually learning how to craft and write um, effective pieces of communication that are going to be relevant for other people to um, to want to read. Cool. So you mentioned the idea of a personal brand, and I think that's interesting because um, a lot of people that are building personal brands, you know, myself included, will have also like a brand name, like employee to entrepreneur, or in your case, the long game. But I have a theory that when you're just starting out, people have an easier time remembering just your name and seeing the face to the name and being relatable in that regard. But it doesn't mean that you don't also try to, um, you know, use the trademark, say the brand name and build that up in the background. And then you also mentioned something about outbound prospecting or outbound marketing and coming at it from, and at least this is the way that I understand it. I haven't read your book or taken the course um, because I, I, I don't think it's out yet, right? No, that's right. The course, I had literally just finished it and uh, have published or released that last week. And the book, um, the book's about 85% finished. I'm trying to get that done in the next week or so. I have some people um, been asking about it. I think that's the uh, the challenge of, you know, when I talk about building in public or, or, or sharing your checkpoints along the way, it's it's a real, really good accountability piece. So I've got a little oh, bit of catching up to do, but it should be up shortly. Yeah. 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 It's a, building in public is such a great way to not only build up hype for whatever product you're, you're producing or the service that you're producing, but also, like you said, yeah, it keeps you accountable, especially if you have some type of soft deadline. But to your point about um, it being done soon, I think that's a good thing because by the time this episode airs, you might be pretty close to being done, if not done. Um, so that's might be perfect timing. So we'll plug your stuff at the end if you got a website that people can check it out at. But um, I wanted to ask you about outbound versus inbound marketing because I think it's fascinating that you you called your your program your book uh the long game so it's a it's literally a long game it's kind of a slow process if you will but one that usually reaps more reward than you know the the quick fix if you will um but i think that um a lot of at least the way that i normally think of 
inbound marketing, things like SEO or content marketing, like producing tons of content on social media, that's not something that you get results right away from. It takes a lot of producing, but eventually you build an audience, you build up some rapport and some goodwill and some trust with your audience and your followers. And eventually, you know, a year or two down the line, you really get some benefits from it. And so I've always thought of inbound marketing as being the long game, but your first, your brand is called the long game. And it's specifically about, um, it's, isn't it mostly about cold email outreach? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the outbound. I love the way you framed that. In fact, it, 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 it makes me think for, for so long, when you look at, um, you know, drawing a line down the middle of a page and you have sales on one side and marketing on the other, they, they've lived within organizations in separate silos effectively. And, you know, I think they should be, um, and I know a lot of great businesses do integrate um, both of those functions as, as inbound uh, versus outbound is also a, um, an age old argument. I, I, I think there's just so much to tie it all in together because I think it, it, it's all worthy um, and it all helps. And I think they help each other. But yeah, my focus is is um, more specifically on on outreach, and it's it's about also trying to help people that are doing wonderful work, particularly in the entrepreneurial space. They're they're um, magicians, they're technicians, they're great at creating in their craft. Um, but in terms of the skills to actually connect to people that they want to help or can help, um, you know, those skills are a little bit lacking, and you know, some people don't feel comfortable selling themselves as well. So I, I feel like that's the it's almost like a facilitator that that part that I want to play in helping them um, feel comfortable about selling themselves, um, but knowing that you can do it in a way that um, that, that still will resonate uh, with people, um, hold your reputation, even if they they were to say no, which is okay, you know. So it, it's just providing more of a a lens from a human perspective as opposed to you know being pushy, uh, awkward, or robotic. Yeah, I yeah. don't think I answered the question so, there because I, we were talk, you were talking about. Sorry, I've interrupted. Oh, you're good. Keep going. I, I don't even think I answered the question about the, um, um, you know, about the content marketing or or, or inbound. It, it leads me to to think, and I guess putting aside the more traditional view on on marketing or um, uh, or, or inbound, if we're talking about the entrepreneurial space, and I guess the that the one that we've got to know each other on, on Twitter, um, we, we're hearing a lot about personal branding, um, build it and they will come, you know, attract clients. Uh, and I, I think that's that's wonderful stuff. But but at the end of the day, if, if you've got people or, or an addressable market that you, um, that you haven't been able to access or reach yet, um, how long have you got to wait, you know, to pay the bills, um, particularly if you're a family or you have other commitments? And if you really believe that you yeah. can help someone, I, I, I firmly believe that there's a part for, um, you know, for, for, for reaching out to people as much as over time you're going to get stuff that will come back to you or, or interest that will come back to you uh, from an inbound point of view. So definitely hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm understanding you correctly in the way that you're kind of framing your course or your book, you view the long game as an and outreach like either inbound or outbound as more integrated than most people think in other words that idea that inbound 
is the long game and outbound is the quick fix is kind of a false dichotomy. Would you say that's kind yeah, of I, what you're? De definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I do. And I, I think ultimately where I am looking to help people is just to help them think for themselves as well. And I think when you... Um, when you take that extra time to, to, to think through what you're doing, it's much easier to get those words on the page or, um, you know, to, to put together that phone call that you're going to call to, you know, to someone cold that you may not have met before or to even stand up and, and present your offer or, um, you know, your, your pitch in front of people in, uh, in real life. Um, yeah, I guess that's the, that's the basis around it. So most of what I talk about is not templatized. It's, uh, it's all about taking your particular context or understanding your client's particular context and then applying um, fundamentals that will allow you to be able to, to do that. So I've got a, a framework called the people method that, um, that I've developed over the years. And um, if we're using whole email as an example, it, it effectively follows that particular framework and allows you to plug in depending on which market segment or which, um, you know, which clients you're looking to, uh, to reach out to uh, based on where they are at. Uh, you're able to do that more effectively than just, um, um, you know, grabbing a template that might not necessarily, um, you know, suit or be effective. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through the people method? I, I can, and <laughs> certainly in a lot more depth, um, that, that's what the course is effectively about. So, um, yeah. and, and the, book sure. is, um, the book is certainly much more of a deep dive uh, ultimately, but it, it really just frames up the understanding of um, good research, I guess, cannot be underrated. Um, but at the same time, you do not need to spend um, hours um, gathering the right research to be able to send a cold email to someone. So research is really important and that, that really underpins your ability to be relevant or be seen as relevant with the people you're sending your email to. If we can't capture attention, we're not going to get read. So again, it's really just taking a bit more of a, perhaps a technical approach or a deeper uh, understanding of, of how to capture attention effectively, invite curiosity to at least get that email opened uh, and the first couple of lines mm -hmm. read before we're able to move into the main body. Yeah, definitely. So, so what is the people method then? Um, prepare and pattern interrupt. So we've got six stages. And I guess if you imagine a, an email from or a cold email from the subject line through to, to finish, uh, it's prepare and pattern interrupt. We've obviously just covered that. Um, engaging intro. So we really want to make sure that we're uh, we're framing up a cold email that's that's sincere. Um, paying a comp compliment is particularly good, um, but but not in a you know, not in an insincere way or a, or a shallow type of a way that we often see in cold emails these days. Um, it's important too, there's an opportunity there because we're looking basically at preview text that someone can see before they even open their email. You know, this is prime real estate here. We need to make sure that uh, it, it's information that's actually going to grab them. So I would suggest definitely paying them a compliment, but um, using your research that might be just a little bit deeper than surface level, not the sort of everyday information that anyone can access in, um, you know, a, a two-second search. And from that perspective, I think we invite ourselves or we invite the, the, the reader to at least um, pay some attention for then you to frame up the, the rest of it. Really, it's, it's all bound by relevancy. So if you can be as relevant as possible, um, 
to their situation or the way you perceive their situation with what your product or your, your offer has. Uh, we're, we're more more likely to get read, I guess, or, or replied to than the, than any other form of email. And and you don't necessarily have right. to. And I, I suggest not to do this picture product or um, throw it all at them in the first email. It's still about inviting curiosity, but giving away enough that they'd still want to continue a conversation after. And that's where I guess the long game comes into it as well. It's um, it, it's it's not put the blindfold on, throw the dart, and hope. It's it's really about um, seeing if someone's open to a conversation or at least a reply or, or continued communication beyond that by giving them enough that in that second one for it to come back to you or the opportunity to continue, you'd be able to then share as much as you um, you, know, you feel is, again, relevant at that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So the, with regards to the long game and it not being a pitch in the very first email, it's more about opening up a channel of communication and maybe just establishing a relationship. Um, so that makes sense. Did, did you did you walk through all all the six? I, no, no, I haven't. I got to about the middle of the I email. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. We, we need to. So what we were basically discussing there was the the opportunity or, or offer a reason to uh, to to read on. So we, we're getting into the what I call the the meat or the crispy stuff. Um, the end of the middle there. Um, we need to position mm-hmm. the relevance. Um, let go of expectations. Uh, and end without a pitch. So the the last two, I know I'm, I'm skipping here, but the last two are, are, are particularly important in just one, holding our nerve uh, as a salespeople, uh, salesperson or an entrepreneur. Uh, but letting go of expectations is, is, is really important. So many assumptive emails, uh, I'm sure you would receive them yourself. And so many salespeople, <clears throat> generally speaking, you know, send um send emails that are assumptive as if just by sending it, they should get a reply or just by sending it that that product or that, that offer or whatever they've got to, um, to talk about is of interest to the other person. No, I say, if you're, um, if, if, if they're not interested, it's usually because we're not interesting. I think we need to work a little bit harder to, um, to craft the right words to, to draw those, those relevancies, but letting go of expectations is really important. I think when you show someone um, that it's okay for them not to be interested or not reply, and we're saying that based on doing some really good homework and framing up a great email. So we're trusting that they will like it, but we're also giving them the chance to say, hey, look, it's okay if it's not for you, if it's not in your your horizon for for purchasing, um, if you've already got something um, like I'm putting forward that I wasn't aware of, that's okay. Uh, and, And ending without a pitch is really just not going for the throat. I'm big on having a CTA, mm-hmm. a call to action. It's it's important that we have uh, something that we're looking to achieve from the email or a question we might like to ask. But uh, I'm more of the um, yeah, I'm more in that camp where it's it's just seeing if they're open to you sharing uh, the information or sharing something else or um, you know continuing on. So it's it, the wording around that will be dependent on who you're sending it to and perhaps what market segment as well. But um, I think when you don't go for the throat in that first email, you actually stand out from all the other vanilla um, email mercenaries out there writing the same junk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I loved what you said about letting go of expectations because I think 
that as a salesman or an entrepreneur, that is putting yourself in a position of power when you're detached from the outcome. It's, you're not needy. You don't need their business. Um, you can help them, right? You're, you're something that you're somebody that has something to offer them and not somebody Absolutely. that's some needy salesman, like, please sign up for my stuff or whatever. So I just want to real quick summarize and recap that for anybody trying to listen. But um, so it's the prepare a pattern interrupt. That's the P because I really like this framework. I think it's really cool, by the way, Stu, that you're, you're, you made that um, prepare the pattern interrupt, um, engage the offer. And then what's the second P? Well, actually, the offer is, is um, offer a reason to read on. So we're not actually then throwing what our product is at them. We're just giving them, that's where we're just working our way into the relevancy. So we're positioning the relevance. The offer a reason to read on. In copywriting terms, um, there's, um, you know, there's talk about creating a slippery slide. And it's not tricking people. It's just mm-hmm. making it really easy with our words. Um, the, the, Another way to look at it is aha fuel. That's another term that I've got. So if we add the aha fuel into this part of the email, um, having someone read that email and think, Brendan really gets me. Um, he's got information here that, yeah, he, he knows me. They're more likely to read on, right? So it, it's about framing it in a way that um, asks them or invites them to continue. Um, and, and relevancy is, yeah, I, I can't underestimate it. It's really important. And that's where a lot of our work as a as an entrepreneur or salesperson is, 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 is actually working out how best to frame it that it does uh, appear relevant to that person. Um, then we let go of the mm-hmm. expectations. Uh, and that's really just detaching from outcomes. We can't control other, pe- other, other people's choices, right? So um, even if it, it's something that you're incredibly passionate about and you know you can help them, we just can't make that decision for them. So I think we just have to be okay with the fact that they might come back and say, no, thanks, or you might not even get a reply. Um, but I think the more that you do it, yeah. the more people that, that you feel you can help. It's easier to detach when you've got 10 more or 20 or, or a list of 50 or 100 that you can go and um, um, send emails to um, to detach from you know one or two at a time where you, 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 you're trying to bank the house on it. Yeah, I think so. I love that. I love that. And I think that that's a um, such a great framework and easy to remember. I like the mnemonic. And it correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it could apply also to cold DM as well, which is arguably a more popular prospecting method right now. Um, what are your thoughts on applying the same framework to um, DMs on social media? Oh, it, entirely. I, I think when we talk about principles and fundamentals, certainly of communication, yeah, it definitely applies across. And um, the one, I guess, we're not focusing on the phone today, but it's important that you know, as as, as anyone looking to grow their business, having an omni-channel approach uh, or a multi-pronged approach is really important. So I, I, I don't underestimate or discredit the use of the phone. I think it's still the original technology that is so very effective, but in terms of um, cold calling on the phone too, I, I know a lot of um, I know a lot of SDRs, AEs, field reps um, will use scripts when calling people. But uh, again, it's very much comparing that to email where you've got templates. People can see through it; they can um, they, they can get a sense, even though your um, your intent uh, you're coming from the right place. 
it just doesn't come off as well. So yeah, these fundamentals definitely apply over to, to DMs as well. I'm not sure about you, but I, I actually love, <laughs> I, I don't get too many. So look, my following um, it, it isn't large, um, certainly not at, not at this stage, but you know, I, I find that there's at least three or four really, <laughs> in air quotes, right, really good DMs that I receive each day that would be good learning um, learning opportunities for others on what not to do. So there is, um, yeah, there, there is a space out there for people to do this really well um, and cut through. Um, again, I, I know I'm calling it junk. I'm not being disrespectful to people, more the content that we're seeing, but, um, yeah, it, it definitely applies. Lots of opportunity out there to get good DMs rolling. Right. Yeah. I, I, you, you won't, you won't say it, but I think the bar has been set very low for DMs. Um, my main okay. social okay. media channel is my Instagram and, uh, you should, I, I kid you not is this is actually a timely conversation because I kid you not yesterday and the day before I got DMs. One of them was inviting me to join the Illuminati. Another one right. offered me to sell me drugs, uh, like LSD, yep. all kinds of stuff, right from the, right from the get go. Um, and yep. then the third one was a female dominatrix. So <laughs> it, it's just wow. absolutely bizarre how, how all over the board, these DMS are They're, And most of them, at least on Instagram, not great. Um, on Twitter, I will say that the average DM on Twitter is a little bit better, maybe because there's more copywriters that flock to Twitter because yeah. if you're, if you're a copywriter, which social media channel are you going to choose? That's a no brainer, right? You're going to go to Twitter where everybody writes. Yeah. So, um, I think the, the Twitter DMS and I'm sure that the LinkedIn DMS are pretty good, but I'm, I'm not on LinkedIn very much, but yeah, man, the bar is really, really low for DMS, but, uh, circling back around to cold email. What is, yeah. in your opinion, what's the what's the worst thing that people do in cold email campaigns today that you that you see and you wish they didn't do? Uh, I've got a couple actually, and, and one I'm just going to throw in at the last minute. It, it's it's something that perhaps isn't a mistake, but but one of the things that I just from talking to to, to people and certainly from uh, from coaching others, a, a lot of they're just reluctant to do it. Um, and it's not because they believe that they can just sit in a, and, and attract clients through um, through branding or osmosis. I'm not sure. It's it's really uh, they just don't get started. Um, I'm often hearing people saying they wish they'd started earlier or at least sat down and set aside some time to to set a bit of a strategy around it. So that'd be the first one is is just waiting too long to actually get started with some form of a strategy. Um, I, I I know that it can take work. Uh, not necessarily because I, I don't think the the people method is is overly complicated and that's why it's been set up for anyone to be able to do it but um, I, I'd like to encourage more people to, um, um, to to try and move past that stigma that's out there and actually get started um, the most common mistake I would say and we were talking about relevancy before and and, and creating the aha fuel those those micro nods or those yeses that the the reader, provides or that you can get when they're reading through the email it comes from research uh, and I, I think a lot of people are just that excited about their product or their offer um, or finding someone in particular the right person that they want to reach finding their email address 
and and sending maybe not blind but but sending well short of of an email that um you know is is actually going to resonate and i think once we understand how our clients think um, rather than think about someone trying to sell something, I, I, I think that will that will start to clean up or reframe how people set up their emails. So re- research is fundamental to that, and and you don't need to. I'm not sure about you, Brendan, when, when you're doing your work, but you know, I think if you know some of the areas to to look, uh, you know a little bit about that company or that person that you're looking to reach. I think 15 or 20 minutes max is all you need to pull. Um, two or three key points um, or reference points to be able to place in that email. Um, some people over complicate it. Maybe they don't start because they think it takes too much work. Yeah. Yeah. I think they often don't because it takes too much work. Um, and on the topic of research, what do you think about the role of AI assisting in, in that? Do you think that, that, you could use ChatGPT to to do your research faster, or do you think that would be a bad idea? Look, I, I do. I, I definitely do. I haven't really played around with it, um, perhaps to the level you might expect, or, or I would have hoped that I would have by now. But I can only come back to it, it's the results that you're going to get are only as good as the inputs, right? So lots of conversations now, certainly um, online. Uh, are helping people uh, understand that that while the technology is good, it's only it's only as good as what you're able to put into it. So getting really deep, thoughtful, clever, uh, creative uh, with the questions and the inputs, I think, is the key to the output. So um, that that's the first thing I'd like to say on that. But look, I, I certainly think that it's a wonderful assistant for sure. Um, if you're asking the right the right questions, um, and for me. Whilst that is a great help, the, the the type of information that I'm talking about, all I'm asking people to do is to is to go a little bit lower than surface level. So you've got a podcast. Um, uh, if I don't know you, I hadn't met you, and I'm looking to to, to get on your show. Maybe I'm, I'm looking to sell you something for the show, uh, post production tool, or whatever it might be. Referencing the last guest you had on, or saying something that's a little bit shallow. Um, not deep. I, I think that's where a lot of people get caught. They, they kind of pick the first thing they see just to say, I know you or I'm familiar with you. Um, but, mm-hmm. but they leave so much, so much on the table where they could actually go a little bit deeper and, and suggest why something resonated or what they particularly liked about an episode. Uh, so I think looking deeper doesn't necessarily mean you have to take a long time, but you, you, we are trying to catch someone's attention um, at the end of the day. Um, and it's 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 low hanging fruit as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that what you're saying about referencing the last guest or some other surface level thing is so spot on because I think that that 100% does trigger that yeah right eye roll type reaction from a lot of people because we live in such a low trust society. Like while that might have worked. 10 years ago, or maybe more, probably more. It's, I, I think people see right through that these days. And maybe that's for better or for worse, right? Like, because I think that we became that way because it got abused. Um, but it would be nice if we did have a, a higher trust society. But it is what it is, I guess. And, and I think that you're 100% right about 
the research being so important and that the people that win are going to be the ones that are going to put in the work with the market research and, you know, at least listen to 15 minutes of somebody's episode to be able to, to speak to what they actually were actually about. So very cool stuff. Um, what do you, here's an interesting question. What do you believe about say business, cold email, entrepreneurship in general that you would say a lot of people would disagree with or don't believe? Does anything come to mind for you? Because I, I feel like you have, a, you're coming at all of this from a very different perspective than, than a lot of people would. So I, I want to ask you specifically that question because it seems like you'd have, you might even have more than one answer to that question. Look, I, I guess I, I'll, anything that I'm answering today is, you know, really from my learnings and, and, and my perspective, it's not necessarily what's right um, or, or what's wrong, certainly not so black and white. But I, I guess from me, uh, from my perspective, when you look at having a family um, and commitments uh, as, a, as a starting point for, for, for things that I can add, you know, I, I think there's a... Look, I understand the, um, you know, the the, the sales, um, almost like the brochure for entrepreneurship talks about freedom and it talks about beaches and palm trees and um, have coffee at nine o'clock in the morning at Starbucks and don't have to do too much. You know, you pick and choose what you'd like to do. And whilst there are a lot of people doing that and it's wonderful, I, I also think the reality for most people um, is it takes a very long time to get to that stage or... Um, there's a lot of people that, that just aren't able to access it. And I think that's okay as well. So it's almost a misconception that just by choosing to become an entrepreneur or a solo preneur um, is a choice to undertake a particular lifestyle. But I, I think it takes a lot of work, um, a, a lot of work. And I, I guess, um, I guess re- reflecting back, um, when you start something yourself, it's usually your own ideas, your own um, IP, your own passion. Um, and it, it can be very hard to share um, that mission with other people within your business. But the more help that you can get, and help could just be a phone call once a week or once a month to someone that you can bounce ideas. And it doesn't even need to be in an accountability perspective. But I just think having people, inviting people into what you're doing as a support mechanism uh, is something that um, I'm starting to see more. Uh, it's getting more attention, which is great. And I don't necessarily think you or everyone has to have a mentor or a coach, but um, having other people around, it's not a journey that um, you can do solely by yourself. That's probably one thing that I'll, um, that I'll offer there for sure. Um, and it's, it's, it's not easy, but, but if you're fueled by your purpose and that's why we're all doing this, right. Um, it's certainly made a lot easier to ride those bumps or those setbacks because uh, they're never they're never enough to knock you off course, particularly if you've got a north star that you're aiming for with with your business. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so that's how I see it. What about you? Yeah, I would say that um, even the entrepreneurs that are more of the bro entrepreneur that think that they can literally do the four hour work week and work from their laptop from a beach. I think that those people do exist, but that's the exception, right? Most entrepreneurs will quit a 40 hour a week job to go work 80 hours a week on their business. So it's that, that lifestyle, while it's very motivating and, and, and possible, I think it's also very rare. (laughs) 
Um, and I don't think it should be most people's goal either. Actually, I think when you're when you're going into entrepreneurship, your goal shouldn't be to work four hours a week from the beach or whatever. I, th I think the goal should be to find something that you love working on so much that you want to work 80 hours a week on it. Um, and to your point about needing other people, a hundred percent true. Um, I think even the bro entrepreneurs would agree that your, your network is your net worth and to bring it somewhat full circle to your idea of the long game and it being integrated with, the inbound versus outbound prospecting. You mentioned earlier that um, a lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs may be reluctant to do outbound prospecting and focus them, themselves more on the inbound, like content marketing, growing your personal brand on social media is so, so popular right now. And for good reason, it, it's, it is a long game in and of itself and it works. But the problem is, you have to rely on other people reaching out to you. Whereas with outbound prospecting, say DM or cold email, you're the one going out of your way and researching about somebody and putting in the time and effort to open up that relationship. So I'm just kind of trying to summarize everything that you just said, but I think it's beautiful, man. And I think that that is a hundred percent, a really good point. And it, I've encountered that myself. I, I do lead generation for small businesses and I've talked to some young entrepreneurs that were reluctant to do anything that was outbound. All they wanted to do a lot of content marketing and stuff for all the reasons I just said, because it's easier that way you get warm, organic inbound leads that are so much easier to convert than if you were to go cold email, cold call, cold DM, it's a lot more work. But the problem is you're not going to grow as fast as if you put in that work and you're not, you're not going to be able to grow your network as fast. And yeah, I think that you absolutely need other people to build something special. That's what business is all about. Um, if it wasn't for other people, business wouldn't exist, right? So oh, I think it, you exactly. have to, it has to go both ways. Go ahead. Yeah, you, you bet. We need we need uh, we need um, we need people in our corner. We need people that have got our back. We need people to pick us up. Um, most definitely, I, I I think if you if you take away the the shiny exterior of entrepreneurship, you know, we're we're all real people with with real emotions. Um, you know, I, I'd be kidding if I didn't say that there weren't days where you come home and your, your hands are in the air or pulling your hair out or, or, or you just don't know why you didn't get a particular result go your way. But, um, yeah, I, I keep bringing it back to what fuels you. And, look, for me, it, it, it's all about helping others. Uh, and that's where I guess for me the coaching's always been in my blood, whether it's, I guess, in business or in sport. So it, it's, a real, it's a real desire, a real need um, inside me to – to want to um, to help others, and I, I don't have all of the answers, but I, I think one thing I've found from, I guess, the work specifically around um, helping cold outreach and strategies is actually the, the 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 way that people have allowed me to give them guidance or some insights or just share some of my experience around some other areas of um, uh, of career, of sales, of marketing, of people, uh, and that's been fun too. So just facilitating. Um, some help in those um, those areas is good, and and that's what I think is wonderful again about entrepreneurship. You you meet people that that uh, you are either bouncing off. You might have a mastermind group, or they just might be there for support. Over time, 
those relationships compound and they can lead you down particular paths that you perhaps hadn't expected or, or planned on, um, which is great. And I think that's the reward for sticking it out. You know, ultimately, we need to see it through, particularly the early stages of, of foundation for a business can be really tricky. I mean, we all know the stats of um, failure rates. So um, keeping our mental health as much as our physical health, you were talking about that earlier. I think it might be before we were, were recording. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely mind, body and soul. It's not a just a knowledge, um, get it out to people. It, it's a full balance required to be able to sustain, um, I guess, success over the long term. And that was a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> no, man, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I let you keep preaching. Uh, every time you, you, you start talking, I think of so many things, like what you were saying about growing your network for support, because failure is such a, it's, I don't want to say common, it's literally an inevitable and integrated part of entrepreneurship. It's something that you should expect when you when you undertake a business venture because you have to see it as as part of the process and to go through it see it as an opportunity a learning experience a growth experience and keep moving but when you're used to being an employee um you don't experience failure as often and failure is punished and seen as something that's that's bad um that you want to avoid right so to shift that mindset is is hard for some people that are making that transition. Um, and what you were saying about it being kind of a soulful journey, if you will, too, I, I was thinking about how for me, entrepreneurship has been huge for giving my life meaning. Um, because in, in my job, I don't have a strong sense of purpose. It like in terms of like me actually feeling like I'm making a difference in the world and helping people. Whereas in entrepreneurship and with my own business ventures, whether that be with lead generation, helping small businesses get more customers or coaching or whatever, um, it's much more rewarding for me. And it's much more fulfilling because of that, because there's that sense of meaning, that sense of purpose. So yeah, all, all beautiful things there, man. That's, it, you, we've, we hit a lot of different subjects in, in just that last like 10 minutes spat there. <laughs> we, we did. I, I wanted to put one back to you, if that's okay. We'll, we're talking about um, balance before, and you, I'm sure you won't mind me saying it publicly, publicly here, but you, you've got a young family. How do you, how do you find you know, balancing commitments, which aren't commitments, they're things that are just innate and you want to spend time with your family. How, how do you get the balance right in being able to, um, to, to, to achieve everything that you want to, um, in your entrepreneurial life? I think that, um, it is, it, the way I view family is actually very much <laughs> the, um, almost my entire why the, the whole reason I started in online business is so that I could get more time back for myself and not be tied in traps, beholden to a job that I could potentially lose one day or that job could be replaced someday, maybe even pretty soon by AI or whatever it is, and be able to um, have a schedule that is more conducive to family life. So that my family is my my why in, in large part. Um, and how I balanced it is, um, 
I basically had to sacrifice my entire social life. I used to spend a lot more time with friends and I don't anymore. Um, and the way I see it is it's seasonal, right? I think that I have to be here for my family when my kids are young and at least some hours every day. And, um, maybe less so when they're, they're a bit older and a lot more independent when they're teenagers and that kind of thing. And, and at that time I might have my own business and no full-time job and more time, at least that's the plan. Um, but I see it's, it's seasonal in the sense that like, I'm not sacrificing my, my social life forever. I'm just sash, sacrificing it now for the next year or two or three. Um, so it, it's not so much balance. It, it really, it, it's not balanced. I'm not balanced. I, I spend a lot of time trying to build up my business and as much time as I can with my family and the minimal amount of time at my job. <laughs> it's basically uh, what my time allotment for everything looks like. What about you? Actually, interestingly, uh, another misconception, right? The whole work-life balance. I think when you work for yourself, uh, whatever that looks like, it, it it completely just gets integrated into what your lifestyle is, right? It, it, it's really hard to separate. Not that you're sending emails or, or, or recording podcasts at the dinner table, I understand. But it, yeah, I, I think once you, if you're making a decision to go into working for yourself, then um, although you get to make choices that perhaps are made for you when you're working for someone else, um, it, it's all tied in. Uh, it's, it's all tied in. Uh, look, for me, I, I guess you see a lot around, certainly when you look at um, social media and some of those platitude type accounts that provide the inspirational um, uh, quotes, you know, looking at um, one in particular um, that's doing the rounds at the moment is the, you know, success lies in what you say no to, not what you say yes to. And I must say, <laughs> I put my hand up and um, ha have learned that lesson the hard way um, mm -hmm. over the years. Um, we were just reflecting back before about support groups. I, I had um, in one of my, my business chapters, this is um, this probably finished about 10 years ago, this chapter, but I was in the coffee industry or coffee beans for a while. I had a distributorship um, for a brand of coffee um, in a particular region, almost like a, just an exclusive arrangement to sell that product to other coffee shops and restaurants. But I had my own cafes as well. Um, and then trying to, trying to balance all of these um, things and do it yourself without uh, enough people to support you thinking that you could do it all yourself was um, yeah, it, it ultimately, I, I ended up moving on, but at a point where it was, I, I should have seen the signs uh, a lot earlier. So I guess for me, that was probably a really good lesson in trying to find some sort of balance um, balance being just not taking on too much and leaving some, some free space there for, just focusing. And I think that's ultimately if you're taking on too much, even if it's just out of the goodness of your heart or, or through sheer passion, taking on too much, there's so much that you are missing by having, um, I, I guess, just an influx of way too many things going on that can mm -hmm. be distracting to uh, whether it's a sense of purpose or we call it the North Star or really losing track of what you're trying to achieve. Um, so currently, I guess the shape that it looks, I feel like I've got... Um, I've got plenty of time with family, which is good. Um, we're a busy family. I've got, um, I've got school drop-offs and pickups. Um, 
I've also got, um, I do the food shopping on the weekends. So <laughs> I'm going to be heading off uh, after here and I'll be uh, sticking to that commitment today. So, you know, there's lots of things around and, and gardens don't mow themselves if you have lawn, depending on what part of the world that you live. So, you know, I, I, I like you, um, the lifestyle is made up of a lot of things. So making sure that you cover everything is really important, but you give everything 100% the things that you um, that you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the word of the day here for this podcast, the theme, the overarching theme of this podcast is integrated. Um, and the reason I say that is because even that, that last bit there, you mentioned that in the beginning that everything becomes all tied in, in an ideal situation. And that actually is the goal for my life. Um, I want to open up a franchise and have my wife work in it with me. And I've heard multiple entrepreneurs say that, you know, eventually everything kind of comes into cohesion and the, all the content that you're making, the stories that you're putting on Instagram are about what you're doing in the day to day, as yeah. opposed to it being so segmented, like it is for me right now, right? Where I have my job and I have my family time and I have the time that I'm working on my business, but eventually that all kind of blends together. Like the kids come into the business and work on, work with you a little bit. And the content you're producing is about what you're doing right then. And your job is that business, et cetera. So it all, that's my goal is for it to become all one nice cohesive um, endeavor in harmony with each other. And uh, I think once I get there, which I believe will be soon, sometime next year, um, that we'll all be a lot happier for it. And, and the idea of balance, if, if there is such a thing, will will not necessarily be as necessary because all, all the time that we're spending is all together anyway, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That sure does. Uh, and, and knowing you uh, for these past few months, and I guess – you know, we've had a number of conversations um, before this, seeing what you're producing online, seeing the conversations you're having, your sheer enthusiasm, let alone your understanding of the space. Oh, I have every reason to believe that um, it's definitely going to work out for you. I appreciate um, it. I love how you're, you know, you're setting a timeline, but I guess if we, we're flexible around our expectations, um, you know, it, it, it's a much easier ride that day and I, uh, that way. And yeah. I think you actually enjoy the process um, and all, all that happens along the way instead of only having that single-minded focus of the end point. Mm -hmm. um, I think oh. if we're all about uh, continuous improvement, which is something that, uh, you know, I would encourage anyone to, to take ownership of their own growth and development and learning, I, I, think, it's a, I, I think it's a really important piece to, to kind of add in, into in terms of um, working or coaching people that that... that um, it's just really easy to take your, your eyes off the actual moment itself um, and accepting mm -hmm. the stages we're in to move forward. But you sound very driven and very committed. And I, I um, yeah, wish you all the best with that. I appreciate the kind words. Thanks so much. Yeah, I think that it, it's a balance, right, between having big dreams and goals, but also being happy in the moment. Because I think sometimes when people have big dreams or things that they want really, really bad and a burning desire is hundred percent necessary to achieve big things. But sometimes when that desire is all consuming, you make this contract with yourself that you're not going to be happy until you have the thing. Right. And then that happiness is, is fleeting. So it's this weird paradox, if you will, that you, you have, you want to have goals. You want to always be pursuing something great and growing 
and making the world better and all that. But you also want to appreciate the moment and realize that it's actually about the journey. That's a hard balance, you know, a hard, hard thing to, to do both, if you will. But I think that that's where the magic happens. And it's, um, it's funny what you said about, um, you know, not necessarily being stuck on the when or the time frame. Um, I actually told my buddy the other day that I'm actually more focused on the why rather than the when. Um, and, but I do understand the importance of setting goals, but if it takes longer than that, I'm still going to keep going. And yeah. I hope it takes uh, less time than that. So the when really isn't that important to me. The, it's the why it's in the, in the what, you know, that I'm doing that I'm really highly focused on. Yeah. I mean, every checkpoint that we achieve or arrive at produces a new problem or a new opportunity to, to set another goal, right? It, what you're talking about for next year isn't a, isn't an arrival point. It's, it's the next phase or next stage, which then starts again. Right. And I think that's, if we put our life into chapters and you talk about seasons um, before, Gee, I'm, I'm that old. I remember um, the first time I was introduced to the, the 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 idea of seasons was, I think, in the the mid '90s with a Jim Rohn um, cassette tape kind of set, and he talks about um, uh, about the life seasons and I guess business seasons as well. Uh, the cool kids talk about sprints. It sounds like you're in a little bit of a sprint at the moment, but obviously with um, with enough free space in there to. Uh, to spend with your family and and, and your friends and, and watching the Jaguars on the, um, uh, on on the box as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in a building phase, and yeah, I, it's a sprint in the sense that I have a sense of urgency to to get rid of the job as soon as possible because I'm I'm antsy and excited to to be a full time entrepreneur. So yeah, I would say it's a sprint, but it's it's a uh, the the phase the built the season is a building season, but yeah, right. great, great conversation, man. I, I think we could do this for another hour, actually. Like, I love talking to you. Um, but where, Stu, can they can people find you um, if they want to know more about the long game or who you are or they need help with their, their outreach? Yeah, sure. Look, the easiest way, Brendan, is, uh, is Twitter. So it's uh, at all my name, Stuart Lyric. Um, I'm not sure if you're going to, to put it in, in, in notes or spell it, but it's um, S-T-U-L-I-E-R-I-C-H, Stu, the long game. Uh, you can go and uh, grab free access to uh, a cold email course where I'm suggesting you're going to be able to master cold email in one week. So there's six lessons in there that are sent each day. That's the best way perhaps to, to, to get a little bit of a, uh, actually not even a little, a deep dive into, um, uh, into the people method uh, I'm open for, for conversations. Uh, you can check out my content there, but but more than read my content, I'd, I'd really like to talk to people. So if you want to reach out, ask a question or just um, have a chat, um, that is the best way to, uh, to find me. Love to meet you. Great, great stuff, man. Thanks so much again. And so guys, if you're listening and you enjoyed this episode, first of all, please give it a like and subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening on YouTube, and if you're somebody out there that is thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, hopefully this episode helped you think about what you're doing with cold outreach, or if you're not doing cold outreach at all, maybe you should start and try to do it in a way and think of it in a way that it is more integrated and more of a long game. And so 
guys, if you want to be an entrepreneur, please do so. I highly encourage you to do so because I truly believe that the world needs more entrepreneurs. So join me, join Stu and make the transition and we will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening.